Thank you for joining us at the Center for Spiritual Living Seattle. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And for further information about our center, or if you wish to make a donation, please visit us at spiritualliving.org. Welcome to week one of the game of life and how to play it. This is a fantastic book, which admittedly I hadn't read until about two years ago. And uh, it is quite an amazing book. It's by a woman named Florence Scobelshin. And even if you don't have the book, I can guarantee you just listening to this is going to shift something in your life. Like just applying the principles that she has in this book is amazing. So I am super grateful that we're going to be exploring this and we're going to be exploring this Basically, over the next five weeks, we're going to have a week off on October 24th, and then we're going to move on to the end of October. So that will be the last Sunday evening that we'll be exploring this particular book. With that, what I like to do is I read the book, and then I bring out three of the most important points I feel from the book to to teach you about, for us to have a conversation about, for us to listen to each other about and um, for that I think are the most prevalent teaching points in this book. Unfortunately or fortunately, there is a lot of content. This is like one of those books where I highlight the entire page. So it really took me a long time to figure out what is the most important thing that I'm going to bring to you this week. And the the cool thing about Florence Scovel Shin is uh, she wrote this book in 1925. It is still a bestseller. It still has information that is completely life transforming. It's a really good book. And this woman was an artist and a book illustrator. She uh, taught philosophy in New York for many, many years. She had a great sense of humor um, and she wrote a number of books. But The Game of Life is one that she's just really renowned for. Um, And I think the one thing that is the most important thing from this book for you to get is that life is not a battle. Life is not a battle. Life should not be a struggle. It should be fun. It should be fun. It's a game. And it's a game of giving, receiving. Now, if you think about life as if it's a game, you might be motivated to learn what the rules are so you can utilize those rules to create or engage in happiness. So if you would see life more like a game, maybe it could allow you to have less worries, less fears, and maybe you could utilize these rules and create more success in your life. And by inviting you into this process, my invitation is that you step into the game and it's a game of faith rather than a game of fear. So the first point is that in order to successfully play the game of life, and then she has this in the book, she says, we must train the imaging faculty. What we imagine sooner or later shows up in our life. 
Basically, everything in our life is created twice. First, it's up in our head, and then it shows up in the outside world. If you can think about anything that has shown up, it's always had something. It was always an idea before it was a something. Like, you can just think about any tangible something, you know, like even this this legal pad of paper, somebody invented the legal pad. Somebody thought about it, they created it. And now like everybody knows this is what it is. Well, there was a time before legal pads <laughs> there was a, and some brilliant person thought it up, the paper clip. There was a time before paper clips, somebody imagined it and then they created it or they got somebody else to actually, you know, put it together and make it happen. And then somebody distributed it, right? So anything that you can think of that's in this world came from our imagining faculty, as uh, Florence calls it. Um, and what she says is that our imagination plays the leading role in the game. So it's really important for us to realize that if we continue to imagine things and create good images, we can experience good experiences externally, but we have to imagine them internally. And in order to train our imagination, we got to get, we have to understand how does the mind work? How does it work? Well, she divides the mind into three parts and she talks about them in a different order than I'm giving them to you, but I'm giving them to you in this order for a specific reason. The first part she talks about is the super conscious mind. Now the super conscious mind is basically the divine mind or God's mind or the universal mind that is within each person. It's the realm of perfect ideas. So just to think about the great creator. I like to, some people don't use the word God. I like to use the word the great creator. I think about there was something that birthed life and this thing that birthed all of life has all of perfect ideas. It is the most brilliant thing. It invented everything, right? It invented what we call science and astronomy and you know how the globe works and how light works. We're just trying to understand it. You know? And that thing is the thing that is the super conscious mind. That's what she calls it, the super conscious mind. The second thing is the subconscious mind. So, so all mind is like triune in nature, right? You might've heard this, the triune idea, uh, father, son, and the Holy Ghost, or um, mother, maiden, and crone, depending on whatever, you know, philosophy you're coming from or religious spiritual background, there's always like a tri triune. Well, think about the triune in our own mind. So the second piece of the mind is the subconscious. It's basically power without direction. Imagine electricity. This is power without direction, right? Electricity is everywhere present. So it's like the subconscious mind everywhere present. It's just like untapped until we decide, hmm, we're gonna, we're gonna tap into that electricity. We're gonna harness it and do something with it, right? But it has to have somebody to harness it and do something with it. You know, somebody created the light bulb, Edison. <laughs> People, somebody decided to do, um, different ways to get electricity out of the world. We've got electro power and wind power and all this. And then it goes into what? 
microwaves, ovens, light bulbs. It's used all over the place. But that's because we, as individualized people, decided to harness this and, and channel it in a certain direction. So that is the conscious mind. So the subconscious mind is, again, it's power, power without direction. And the conscious mind is the individual human or rational mind that kind of sees life as it is. It sees life as it is. And um, it also is the mind that impresses onto the subconscious. So it's the part of ourselves that impresses. So like I have decided I am going to create a light bulb. Now, maybe the idea of the light bulb came from the superconscious mind, right? The, the realm of perfect ideas. The idea came there. Good old Thomas Edison was like, I have this idea. It's a brilliant idea. I don't know how to make it happen, but I'm going to keep working on it. He did it. He worked on it. I think it was like 5,000 times. He so-called failed like 5,000 times. And, and for him, he was just like finding that thing, but he was channeling his mind onto his creation. So that's the three types of our mind. And think about our conscious mind is more individualized, whereas the subconscious and the superconscious can be larger than ourselves. So subconscious, I might have my own individual experience of my subconscious mind, right? So habits and behaviors or, or things might be embedded in my subconscious mind, but also groups of people. And I would say even countries have kind of the, their own subconscious mind. It all gets in there where there's groups of people who, who act collectively together on the subconscious mind. So we can have an impression on the subconscious mind, but again, think of it as unlimited cosmic power that we can do positive things with, we would think in our head, or even negative things with. It's neutral, I would say. It's a neutral experience. All right, so the second point I wanna say is that we can only receive in this realm of what we call reality, things that we actually see ourselves receiving. And she says, the object of the game of life is to see clearly one's good and obliterate all mental pictures of evil. This must be done by impressing the subconscious mind with the realization of good. Now, what we don't talk about Evil, as in something that's its own entity, evil is only our own mind working against us, working against our ultimate good. And so that means that we can actually create experiences of heaven or hell in life through what goes on in our mind. So I want to tell you this story of a man named Kenny. He's from um, New Jersey. And his grandfather was diagnosed with terminal cancer like 10 years ago. And what happened to him is his grandfather passed away and it was really hard for him. His whole family was his uh, grandfather's caregiver. 
Um, and his, he went into some deep depression about it. And while his, after his grandfather passed away, he also uh, lost his romantic relationship. So he was going through life and he started getting really depressed. His, he was in college, his grades began to decline. He had this experience of um, wanting to sleep, avoiding social interaction, and just really cocooning from life. He started realizing that he didn't want to do things. He stopped taking care of his body. He gained 85 pounds. This is a true story. And then he got let go of his job. And as he was, as he was going through this really dark period, and maybe you might be going through a dark period right now too, which is why you're attracted to figuring out what is the game of life and how do I play it? Somebody gave him, it was actually his father. His father suggested that he watch the, or he read the book, The Secret. Now the book, The Secret is um, something that also teaches about some of these new thought metaphysical principles. And he realized that he was kind of going down, like down farther and farther and farther into a pit of despair. And he was losing himself. And he realized that he wanted to focus, he wanted to shift his focus from all the negative things. Now, a lot of negative things were happening, right? His grandfather passed away. He lost his, his job. He was in school. He started declining. He actually got kicked out of school. Then he got like five different diseases. He gained 85 pounds. Like every aspect of his life was crumbling apart. And when he was at the bottom, he realized that he could start imagining a better good for his life. He could start imagining in his head, using his mental faculties, something better. Like it was possible that something could happen better. And so what he started doing is consistently envisioning what he thought would be the perfect job. He started envisioning it and he started feeling it in his body, imagining what it was like to have his perfect job. Now he had never had his perfect job before. But he started imagining it. He, so he did this for four months. And after four months, he had a friend who said he thought he might have an opportunity to, you know, connect him with the job. He interviews for the job. And lo and behold, it is his perfect job that he was imagining. And his life started shifting and getting better and better and better. And after he got this new job, he realized, hmm, this imagining faculty is pretty amazing. What if I started imagining something even greater, like going back to school and graduating from college? And so he decided to imagine himself with his little, you know, his little college degree on. And he wasn't in a job that was, uh, that he had like normal business hours. He talked to his boss, his boss let him do flexible hours so he could go to college. So he ended up getting his degree. And then he was like, huh, this is working really well. <laughs> what else can I imagine? So he started imagining having a really successful and healthy relationship. And he got that really successful and healthy, healthy relationship. So this is a true story. This is Kenny's story. Now I have the same story. I can tell you the same thing. 
same things have happened to me. I've done this. I've imagined my perfect life, my perfect job. I'm doing my dream job right now. I love this job. It's amazing. I'm transforming people's lives. It can't get any better than that. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you awaken to some of your good and you step away from here and you are a happy person, I am doing my job and I am very happy with that. So it's, this is so powerful though. And it's something that people don't pay attention to or they don't realize how to harness or, or really activate the power that is within them. And some of you, this is a reminder. This is just a refresher course. <laughs> and there is no limit to the good that we can have. But we have to imagine it first. We can't get anything we're not ready or willing to accept in our life. And that's the most important thing. That is the most important thing. So Kenny now, he's lost 45 pounds He's off the, he's the, the six diseases he has, three of them are gone now. He's still working on the rest. There's still things going on in his life, but now he's utilizing this, the mental capacity for his good instead of for his detriment. And that is really, number one, it's super helpful to have community to support you in this. Really, really helpful. I'm glad you're here. I'm just saying you know, having community to help support you, shifting your mindset is like, there's nothing else. It's, it's so good. That's been really helpful for me. So now the point, the third point I want to let you know about this book is, and this is so huge, a big demonstration is usually preceded by tormenting thoughts. A big demonstration is usually preceded by tormenting thoughts. So this is, this is, it's like the idea of it's always darkest before the dawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. In the book, she says, every great work, Every big accomplishment has been brought into manifestation through holding the vision and often just before the big achievement comes apparent failure and discouragement. There was a time when I wanted to start a woman's retreat and um, it was 14, 14 years ago now, gosh. 14 years ago, I wanted to start a woman's retreat. And it was a really big idea. And I thought it was crazy. I had never put on a woman's retreat. I'd been to women's retreats before. And um, I decided to go. I was going to the Center for Spiritual Living uh, San Jose at that time. And I decided to tell the senior minister that I wanted to put on a retreat. And he told me to write up a proposal, which I did. He sent it to the board. The board came to me and they were like, right on. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> and so I went ahead and put a little notice out to my community going, who wants to help me start a women's retreat? Like, I don't know how to do this. And the very first uh, time where I did this, like, hey, who's interested in creating this? We had 18 women sign up to help create it. And it was really exciting, really cool, until we got to the point of finding out that retreat centers want like 
I don't know, a 50% deposit up front or a 25% deposit up front. So um, I went to the board um, at the time and I said, hey, you know, can you give me several thousand dollars for a deposit? And they were like, no, we can't. We didn't budget for, you know, several thousand dollars to put on a deposit for a retreat. You're going to have to figure it out. Now, at that point, it was very disappointing. I was, I was bummed out. You know, I was like, oh, my God, how is this ever going to happen? Like, what? But we had 18 women. And, you know, we, we were all really sad about that. Really, it was like, oh, dejection, failure, right? And then we thought, no, this was meant to be. Something was meant to happen. There is an answer in the creative universe. There's something that can help us figure this out. And somebody came up with the brilliant idea of why don't we all put down the deposit for the retreat? Like, why don't we all collectively put down the deposit? And I mean, it was a refundable deposit, (laughs) you know? And so we did. So we all pitched in and that retreat was the kickoff to a retreat that I've been doing for 14 years. It's been so successful. But it was like there was this thing that seemed like failure and dejection and like it's not going to happen. And all of us were really sad about it. But it was like the thing just before the miracle. And I I notice this now. Um, It's really cool because I might have a conflict in my teams that I'm with. And what I've noticed is when it becomes just bad enough where people want to (laughs) quit, They're like, oh, it's just before the miracle happens. So I want you to know that there's something in the, in the universal spirit about this. Like if you're desiring something and you're putting something out into the universe that you really want, it might get a little tricky just before your miracle happens. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's actually evidence that it's going to happen. It's like the thing, like, oh my God, like this is the thing that is the challenging thing that is the miracle before it happens. Now, I don't know, poor Thomas Edison, he had to do the light bulb like 5,000 times. So um, hopefully for you, it's not like 5,000 times, but, but it's, you know, I wonder how, how many times like he did it. And then what if he stopped at 4,999, you know, like, then he's like, I, this is it. It's, I'm never going to create the light. <laughs> like, it's never going to work. But he didn't. He knew that there was something that's destined to happen. And that's true for all of us. Whatever our good is, is destined to happen. And it is possible for all of us. So, in summary, to successfully play the game of life, remember, we must train our imaging faculty. We must use this amazingly conscious brain that we have to imagine what we would love to experience. The second thing is that we can only receive what we see ourselves receiving. We have to be willing to say, I am good enough or I am worth it to have this amazing job or spouse or whatever it is that you're seeking. We have to imagine it. We have to actually be willing to receive it. It's not fake receiving. Like we have to be willing to receive this amazing thing. And the third thing is that the big demonstration is usually preceded by tormenting thoughts. So take that 
chewing it on it. And, uh, and so it is, I'm complete. <laughs>